Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we'll be reading verse 10 through chapter 13 and verse 4. Genesis 12, 10 through 13, 4. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maidservants, and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why sayest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. A picture the like of which I had never seen before. It was a rear view shot of a row of big men in tight pants bending over in such a way that they appeared to be putting intolerable strain on their pants. Behind them stood a man who seemed to have lost his temper completely. He was yelling and shouting, apparently because the other men had his ball and he wanted it back. Eventually, after much shouting, they gave it to him. He promptly gave it to one of his friends who ran a few steps and received an awful beating by some other men wearing similar tight pants but of a different color. They were apparently very sorry about their behavior because after they had beaten him up, they gathered in a small group to pray about it. <laughs> they were not sincere, however, because they were straight back and, and did the same thing again. After repeating this whole outrageous procedure about ten times, the man with the ball suddenly threw it about 60 yards to another man I hadn't noticed before. He caught it, ran a few yards, did a funny little dance, and the crowd went wild. I thought I had stumbled onto some new religious festival and was completely mystified until someone started to explain what was happening so that a newly arrived Englishman could understand. Apparently, the quarterback had so effectively faked a handoff to his running back that the defensive line and linebackers had played the run, leaving the receiver wide open to catch the pass and go in for a touchdown. And it all happened because the defensive players chased the man without the ball. And the moral of the story, he said, is this. If you are free to pursue happiness, don't be faked into pursuing it where it isn't. I think that's a pretty good moral, and I think it's extraordinarily applicable tonight as we continue our study of the life of Abraham, the first follower. You see, when we left off four weeks ago, 
in Genesis chapter 12, we saw that Abraham had committed to following God. God had called for Abram to leave his country, to leave his culture, to leave his kinsmen in order to follow him. God was going to take him to the land that he would show him. And God was going to bless him and God was going to make him into a great nation. And the amazing thing is that Abram went, as Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4 says. In so doing, Abraham showed us that trust is a must, that trusting God is required when it comes to followers. And even though Abram didn't know the details, he took a leap of faith, and that's why he's referred to as the father of faith. But one thing the Bible makes abundantly clear is that faith is going to be tested. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James talks about faith, and this is what he says. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing James indicates that the testing of our faith is inevitable because it is essential and the end product of successfully tested faith is that we will be made perfect and complete it's maturation that's the end product so faith is going to be tested. It will be tested some way, somehow, somewhere. There's going to be a challenge to your faith because faith is not designed to be easy. And that's what Abram found out after he arrived in the promised land of Canaan. See, tonight we want to look at Abram's journey because Abram's journey didn't actually stop when he arrived in the land that God was going to show him. It continued. story tonight in Gen at the end of Genesis chapter 12. Because there's something to be learned about Canaan. And there's something to be learned about the destination he went to after that, Egypt. And there's something to be learned about his return to his Jewish family. That will be our directions for the evening. And, and, and we're going to learn what we can about following from this particular journey in Abram's life. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 12 and, and we'll notice that Canaan always has challenges. Now you have to remember in the context of this story, Abram went where God directed him, and that was to this land called Canaan. In fact, you can read in chapter 12 and in and, and, and verse uh, 4, 5, and 6, I believe it is, I may be wrong on that, that Abram arrived there, that eventually he made it to Canaan. Now for us in the context of this application tonight, I want you to understand that when I use the term Canaan in, in relation to you and I, I'm talking about the destination of becoming a Christian, the destination of becoming a follower, that Canaan symbolizes for you and I becoming a follower of God. So here's the thing about Canaan. Canaan is always a challenge. Look at verse 10 in Genesis chapter 12. What's the very first thing that we read about in the light? No mic. Oh, man, I got to start all over? Wait a minute. No, I had it on. I have green lights. You got me? I got green lights. I'm not lying. So it's not me. All right, I'll, let me stay back here. Let me stay back here. I'll come back here, and we'll just work from here. So notice in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, you have Abram in Canaan. And there's a problem. 
A problem arises shortly after he gets there. It's a problem of a famine. And that's very interesting. What am I doing? <laughs> that's very interesting. Because this is the land that Abram has been promised. This is the land that God said, I'm going to take you to. You're going to give up your land. You're going to give up your family. You're going to give up your inheritance. You're going to give up your security. And you're going to follow me to this land that I have chosen. And in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, one of the first things that happens in that land is a famine. And, and you can look at the verses that precede it. Between verses 5 through 9, we learn that Abram came to the land of Canaan. And as he journeyed through the land, he would arrive at a particular location. And he would pitch his tent and he would build an altar. And, and what he seems to be doing is claiming the land and worshiping God all throughout his journey in the land. But then this famine comes along. Now think about the significance of a famine at this point in Abram's story. He just completed this trip from Ur to Canaan via Haran. And in the process, he had given everything up. And then shortly after his arrival, famine strikes. And you have to remember where Abram came from. He came from Ur and Haran, which are towns associated with what the ancients called the Fertile Crescent. In other words, they were good land for the type of wealth that Abram possessed. Abram was a herdsman. His wealth was tied up in flocks and in herds and cattle and such. And in order for his wealth to grow, in order for his wealth to, to accumulate, in order for him to be successful, he had to have a good source of water. Not only for his, his herds to drink, but for the fields to grow the grass that they need to eat. His wealth is tied up in herds and flocks, and therefore it's tied up in water. But upon arrival to his new land that God had brought him to, the very thing he needs to succeed is absent. And some of us know what that feels like. Because all too often, godly, sincere people imply in their presentation of the gospel that if you'll just give your life to God, then your life will get better, that your problems will go away. But Scripture doesn't support that. Scripture makes it very clear in places like James chapter 1, which we read just a moment ago, that it's through testing that our faith matures, that we become the people God intends for us to be. I like the way one preacher put it. He said, God can birth an Isaac in a moment, but it takes time to develop an Abraham. Because it takes time to build the kind of character in a man or a woman where they're never going to doubt God again. And the only way the Bible says that that kind of character can be developed is through tests of faith. See, Canaan which tonight, I said, symbolizes the life of a disciple, the life of a follower. Canaan is not a land without its challenges. It's a land where, where challenges are met with a new way of thinking to play off of this morning. It's a place where we see our challenges through the lens of God instead of seeing our God through the lens of our challenges. It's the place where God's promises 
trump our problems. And the truth is, it takes more faith to stay in Canaan, to keep following God, than it does to get there to begin with. In other words, it takes more faith to be a Christian than it does to become one. Because Canaan always has challenges. Now I want you to think for a moment. What do men typically do when they face a problem? They try to fix it, right? Inherently, there's something about us as men that we, we think we're fixers. That when problems arise, we want to fix them. Isn't that one of the great communication problems between men and women? Women come home and tell us all their problems, and we try to fix it, and they're like, no, 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 I just want you to listen. And if you just listen, that's all they need. But we inherently want to fix our problems, and that's what Abram is. Abram's a fixer of problems. He loves to get hands-on, and he wants to solve things. That's going to get him in trouble when Hagar enters the picture. He's going to try to get hands-on in solving this childlessness issue. And then time and time again, he's going to be hands-on in trying to rescue Lot and protect Lot from destruction. But for now, let's talk about his hands-on approach to resolving his famine issue. See, Abram's solution to the famine problem was to find somewhere that had plenty of water. And so he set his eyes on Egypt, where the Nile River, much like the Euphrates in the Fertile Crescent, kept everything watered. And so at the end of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10, the text tells us that Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. His life starts in Can or his story tonight starts in Canaan, but now he's going to Egypt. And while Canaan always has challenges, Egypt always has disappointments. See, Abram went to Egypt because he th literally thought that the grass was greener. But there's one problem with Abram's decision to go to Egypt, and that is that it wasn't sanctioned by God. Nowhere does the text indicate that God directed Abram to go to Egypt. Thus far in his story, every place he's gone, God told him to go. When Abram left Ur, he was following God's directions, according to Acts chapter 7. When Abram left Haran, he was following God's directions, according to Genesis chapter 11 and 12. But when Abram left Canaan, he was following his own will. This is the first migration that Abram made without God's explicit approval. And it's the only time Abram will ever leave Canaan again. Abram's trip to Egypt is, is going to be something that he regrets for the rest of his life. And to understand why he will regret the Egypt endeavor, you need to understand that Abram's decision to leave Canaan was ultimately an act of faithlessness. It showed that he trusted himself more than he trusted his new God. And it all stems from the fact that he was looking at God through the lens of his difficulties instead of looking at his difficulties through the lens of God's promises. So when Abram arrived in Egypt, he had already intentionally or unintentionally decided that he couldn't trust God to take care of him. And as a result, he came up with his own strategy to protect himself in this foreign land. So look at what happened, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 11, and go through verse 16. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. 
and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So here's what happens. Abram arrives in Egypt, and he knows that he has a beautiful wife. And he knows that kings like to amass a harem. And he fears, he fears that if they find out that they're married, if the Egyptians find out that he and Sarai are married, that they'll just kill him so they can take her as a wife. In other words, the Egyptians have a standard of morality that says adultery is wrong. And Abram fears the consequences that might befall him because of her. So he convinces her to lie or to tell a half-truth. That's not lying, is it? Yeah. See, Sarai is his half-sister, which we talked about a few weeks ago. He's just not going to include that information about her being his wife. And all this stems from his lack of faith in God. And his lack of faith in God caused him to endanger the fulfillment of God's covenant. See, God's entire promise hinges on Abram becoming a father and Sarai being the one through whom a child is born. Remember, God has promised to make Abram a great nation, and that has to start with one child, and that child is to be the son of Abram and Sarai. But right now in Egypt... Abram's compromising the covenant. He'd already compromised it by leaving Canaan in the first place because that's the land that he was being shown to. And now he's compromising it by risking the relationship between him and his wife. And as one preacher said, the, the bearer of the promise, that is Abraham, the bearer of the promise has suddenly become the greatest enemy of the promise. So that trip to Egypt risked a lot. And here's the point. The trip to Egypt is always a trip you regret. Because the trip to Egypt always requires a compromise. In this context, when I talk about Egypt, I'm talking about our abandonment of following God in order to pursue something else. And you may have noticed that Abram, he gained a lot of stuff when he went to Egypt. The world offers a lot of things that can bring temporary pleasure and temporary happiness but even though Abram gained a lot from going to Egypt, he lost a lot as well. In fact, you may not have really noticed everything that he lost. But he lost his integrity by lying. He lost his testimony for God. Because how can you trust what someone says about God when you can't trust about what someone says about their spouse? He also lost his peace of mind. I'm sure there were some sleepless nights that he endured. He lost his closeness to God because he's not holding to God's standards or God's expectations. And my personal thought is that those first few nights with Sarah back in his tent weren't too enjoyable after he risked their relationship. And this is a trip he's going to pay for for several years. 
Did you notice that in the text, it tells us that he, he received many male and female servants during his time in Egypt? One of those female servants is identified in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1 as a woman named Hagar. And in a few weeks, we'll learn that, that her presence in their lives and her involvement in their story caused Abram much heartache. It would be a decision he regretted for the rest of his life. But not only that, you can go to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 5, just one verse after the reading from this evening, and we're told that Lot went with Abram to Egypt. And he too exited with a lot of stuff. So much stuff, in fact, that Abram and Lot had to distance themselves from one another. And when Abram gave Lot the choice of where to live, Lot chose the land next to Sodom. And the reason he chose that land is because it resembled Egypt. And Lot would, excuse me, Lot would battle the rest of his life with a great lust for stuff. A thirst that began in Egypt. And Abram would spend much of his life trying to protect Lot from his Egypt-driven decision. Abram may have attained a lot of worldly wealth in Egypt, but he lost a lot of what really mattered because Egypt always disappoints. And we need to realize that in our own lives. Oftentimes we abandon following God in pursuit of something that looks better, in pursuit of greener grass on the other side, in pursuit of something the world says is better. But it always disappoints. And there's something else worth noticing about Egypt. It's not that easy to get out of Egypt. In fact, the only reason Abram survived Egypt is because God extended grace even though he was in the wrong place. And that leads us to tonight's final point, which has to do with a town called Bethel. And what I want you to understand is that Bethel always has room. Now pick up the reading with me in Genesis chapter 12, at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. God intervened in Abram's journey. God ended up being the one who redeemed Abram from this messy situation that Abram created for himself. And God's intervention in Abram's situation is a reminder that God repeatedly deals with, man, with mankind on the basis of his steadfast love, rather than on the basis of what we deserve. In other words, in this instance, God let his goodness trump Abram's weakness. God let his faithfulness trump Abram's faithlessness. And isn't that what God has done for each of us through the blood of his son? He extended his grace to us when we were in the wrong place. Think about Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were in the wrong place. See, God extends grace even when we were in the wrong place. 
But before we get too carried away with God's grace and conclude that it means we can stay in the wrong place and still be right with God, let's notice what God's grace, what God's wrong place grace in the story of Abram included. First, God's wrong place grace exposed Abram's sin. God had called Abram to be a blessing to the nations. But in the instance of the Egypt endeavor, Abram was a curse to that nation. The presence of Abram in Egypt, separated from his wife because of his lie, tormented Pharaoh and brought about great plagues on the house of Pharaoh. Abram wasn't a blessing there. He was a curse. And so Abram, Abram had to be corrected. Did you notice how God went about exposing Abram's sin in this situation? God didn't approach Abram himself and expose that sin. Abram had to endure the humiliation of being rebuked by a pagan king. God used Pharaoh to expose that sin. That must have been humbling. Because Abram's the one who's called by God, not Pharaoh. So notice here, as God does extend grace to Abram when he was in the wrong place, it comes first with, an, with God exposing the sin that Abram has brought upon his family. And also notice that God's wrong place, grace, did not remove the earthly consequences of Abram's decisions. Abram needed to be restored to the land of promise because he wasn't supposed to leave that land in the first place. Abram wasn't in the wrong place just geographically. He was in the wrong place spiritually, and he needed to return to God. So look at what happens in Genesis chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. After Pharaoh has dismissed Abram from the country, from Egypt, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. See, this is what I mean by Bethel always has room. Abram had wandered away from God. Abram had abandoned God's call. And when God graciously intervened and gave him a second chance, Abram returned to Bethel. He intentionally returned to the place where, according to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8, he had last built an altar to the Lord, and he had last called upon the name of the Lord. He returned to the place where God was. Because that's what grace causes us to do. God's wrong place, grace, invites us to return back to him. And here's the thing about Bethel. There's always room at Bethel. I think this fact is illustrated well by the parable of the lost son. When you think about that parable in Luke chapter 15, the father didn't stop his son from going to the far country. 
He allowed him to leave the homeland. He allowed him to go to the Egypt, so to speak. He allowed him to make that mistake. But more importantly, he allowed him to come home when he repented. And that's what God does. This is made abundantly clear in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is a God of grace. And while God's grace is not something to be abused, it's certainly also not something to be ignored. Because I bet there is someone in this audience tonight who needs some wrong place grace from God. And maybe you need to hear these words from Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, our God is like that father in the parable of the lost son. Standing on the porch, watching for the son to return home. Maybe you're like Abram tonight, and you've wandered into Egypt, and it's time to return to Bethel. There will always be the promise of greener grass that will draw you to the Egypts of the world. But the trip to Egypt will always come at a cost. So even when following Christ gets difficult or life throws an obstacle in your path, don't be tricked into pursuing something that can only be found in Canaan. Tonight, if you've ventured into the Egypts, we extend this invitation for you to return home to Bethel. And tonight, if you've never found your way into Canaan in the first place, we extend this invitation to join us on that journey by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God by repenting of your sins and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. We don't want to miss out on the promised land. We don't want to miss out on what God has offered graciously to us by venturing into the Egypts of the world. And if tonight you need to make some sort of correction, if you need to make some sort of decision, we hope you'll choose to do so because you, we want you to be on that journey with us to God's promised land. If you have any need to respond to the invitation this evening, won't you come while together we stand and sing?